Hi, and welcome to The Huddle Show. I'm Cindy Dawes, here with Melissa Nova. Hello. Hello. So, let's just get straight into it this week. No preambles, (laughs) no explaining what we're going to do. Let's just go straight in. All right. So, I'm going to ask you, Melissa, what have you been noticing or seeing in the last week or so? Uh, Well, in the last week or so, I've actually been really busy over at thishuman.com. So a while at the beginning of June, I think we launched the Beliefs Unlock the Hidden Power of Your Beliefs course and offered it free to everybody so they could access the guided encounter, I guess, with your belief system. We thought it was appropriate at the time with everything else that's going on in the world. And as a part of that, we also launched the This Human Community. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And... And I've just been noticing, can we notice stuff about ourselves? It's our podcast. I think we can do whatever we like, (laughs) actually. Okay. I realised I asked permission to swear last week on our own podcast. Yeah, I do made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because you... I think you can definitely notice things about yourself, yeah. Well, that's the whole point. I guess it's on on theme with what I'm talking about in terms of the beliefs work. But so just the thing that I've been noticing about myself this week, being heavily sort of involved in the establishment of this human community which is hosted on this platform called mighty networks Mm -hmm. and we decided to go with mighty networks partly because i'm kind of hopeless with the whole social thing and you know we're not looking at each other with knowing eyes (laughs) going yes that's true melissa it's not one of your strengths (laughs) i don't want to say that because you always accuse me of saying mean things to you on this podcast. So. <laughs> and I think a part of it is I, 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 I don't know, I just like, I like meaningful relationships and, and hopelessly deep thinking and I'm looking for that connection with people. And mm. what we found was Mighty Networks is actually designed in a way to be able to facilitate that type of community building where it's actually quite sort of deliberate and meaningful and curated and and all of that sort of stuff curated in the sense that you know people asked to join or invited to join based around an area of interest Mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing and felt that that would be really good for the people who have read this human are interested in the work in this human but the stuff that's been going on for me is the just the hesitation that I have around showing up in in community that way I'm really comfortable in real life, but mm. there's there's some weird barrier that I have around this online thing where I don't where it's almost it feels like I'm putting stuff out there in the hope that mm. it's going to be useful and helpful for people, and there's no immediate sense of whether or not it actually is, and also noticing that. I just have this and I need to do some work on this. Probably I'll do my own beliefs course on it. Like what's the belief that sits behind this? But um, being somewhere I'm not wanted or not needed Mm. and just never, ever wanting to be that. And so I feel feel like that's been playing, Mm. that's been playing into the experience that I've had over the last week. And also just with the acknowledgement that people are really busy and there's so many other platforms that they're across and and to not be like all the others, you yeah. know, and to be pinging them and trying to fight for their attention. And, like, 
I just don't want to build that. I don't want anything to do with that type of energy. I really just want it to be a place where people are drawn to Mm. almost come to it as a place of reflection and rest Mm. as opposed to more bip bop bip bop bip bop bip bop kind of this like that and watch this and da 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 so just getting my head around how to build a community like that and what my role is actually in that and to not i don't want to have too many rules around it no <coughs> See, I kind of wonder if it's your job to build the community. Maybe the community should build itself. That's what I'm thinking. But I don't know what that then – because if you don't do anything, mm-hmm. nothing happens at the sure. beginnings. So then, what if nothing some, happened? Then why would we have – No, if, but if – like, yeah. I mean, that's a good question. <laughs> but I'm just thinking – so there's a few things that you've said. One is I don't want to be anywhere I'm not wanted. Well, nobody's – it's not like we've corralled or you've corralled no. people into coming to this place that they've chosen intentionally to be there. get on a new platform and sign up to a new thing and get a new password and all of that stuff. I've just done this, so that's my PTSD on having to join a new platform. So people have chosen to do that. Mm. So they must want something. Yeah. And But is it your job to make them a community? Or is it no. just your job to put things into the world and see if they want them. And if yeah. nobody comes, then stop. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the inquiry and the challenge that I find myself in, which is I – because I don't think – I mean, there are people who, who do this for a living, yes. right, people who curate and build communities. And it's certainly not something that I do for a living – deliberately accidentally it happens of Mm. course but I'm not sure whether or not you can I just like I don't even know how to finish that sentence part of me goes I think you can actually go about and deliberately build a community Mm. quite intentionally actually Mm. and go here's this and here's that and here Mm. are the rules of engagement and there's a little bit of that in the thing as well because I did want to set the tone around Mm. what sort of space this is I think that's appropriate Mm. but then to actually enact the community like the creation of the activity and the sharing and the collaboration and all of that sort of stuff, that is just completely out of your control as a host. Mm. I mean, you just, I think all you can really do is just create the conditions mm. and hope that those conditions foster those types of interactions and connections and stuff. And if they don't, to your point, then they don't. Yeah. And to have like, to not, I think that's probably what it is. I'm just, it's very deep and vulnerable sharing <laughs> podcast but the the to not have an attachment for how it's going to be yeah I mean I you know this podcast is generally brought to you by Glennon Doyle and I'm going to mention her (laughs) again I think she has intentionally created some communities but but I don't see her I mean she and she is quite active on social media yeah but she's just using content she's already created she's just talking about things yeah It's, it's not very it's not salesy. It's not yeah. in your face. If yeah. you don't want to be there, you don't have to be yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, but I also think about these communities a bit like this is going to be a really lowbrow metaphor mm. or analogy to stay with it. It's like when you have a party mm. and your job is to 
have some music and some food and clean your house and have nice lighting and try and invite people you think are going to get along or whatever. But actually there's that moment of horror at every party or gathering that you host where you think, I don't think this is going to go very well. Mm. I haven't done enough. I don't know if people are going to have a good time. But actually it's their job to have a good time. Yeah. Which is that I always have this moment of release and anxiety at a when I host something. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's a bit the same. It, I think it is exactly the same. Mm. Well, it feels it feels exactly the same for me, actually. Mm. And that, that's a really useful metaphor. Thank you. Oh, really? Yeah. You felt a bit lowbrow, but... No, no. No, because I, I actually, I mean, there are, yeah. The, the content that gets covered in the book, This Human, is really, it's deep stuff. Mm. And... I want the community to be a place where that can be lightened a little bit, you know, and that it is a little bit like, I mean, it's not a party, but it is oh. a little bit like that, you know, oh. it's light and friendly and supportive and, and humorous and joyful and, and open and. Yeah. You can meet new people and mingle yeah. and yeah. Yeah. decide to go and have coffee yeah. after the party or, you yeah. know. Yeah. Oh, and while we're on the topic of all of this, the beliefs course. Yes, let's do that. So for all of the podcast listeners, so you and listening you. now, we're going we know to- there's more than one of you. <laughs> so it's you and you. Yeah, you and you. We're going to be offering a 50% discount on the beliefs course. And you can find that over at thishuman.com. We will put the link in the show notes. And the coupon code is the word LISTEN, which we will also put in the show notes. And that's that's just a little quirky thank you Mm. for listening to us and, yeah, just a little offering. Yeah. Should we just do a quick little snapshot of what that is? Yes, the belief course. Yeah. Sure. So it is one of the earlier exercises that comes up in the book, This Human, and it's designed as a guided tour of your own belief system. Mm. And you basically go step by step through, first of all, understanding what beliefs are and where they come from and then how they operate sort of in the background, guiding the way you might perceive things, make meaning of things, decide things about yourself, decide things about the world. And in going through that sort of guided I like to call it an encounter with your beliefs that have influenced you over time. You are given a way to kind of assess whether or not you think that they're still useful and Mm. resourceful for you and helping you navigate the world in a kind of, you know, supportive way or the opposite to that, which is, you know, perhaps I just need to tweak this a little bit or mm. perhaps I need to just sort of drop it entirely because <laughs> mm. it's so mm. old and so out of date and and I'm just not the same person I am now that I was when I was, you know, 13 or whatever when I decided this about myself. And, yeah, and then it sort of culminates in a, okay, now how do we put this new perspective, this new belief into action yeah. and intended as a – kind of a lifelong practice that you just sort of first of all get exposed to and then hopefully then just integrates into the way you get about the place. Mm. Yeah, I'm up to doing it for my second time mm. and it's I know we're making it sound pretty I feel like we're making it sound very ponderous and it 
can be quite ponderous. You could do it around like very deeply held beliefs about very big things, or you could do it about smaller things. I mean, Melissa and I often joke that we're making a new belief about our ability with technology. (laughs) Quite deliberately. Quite deliberately, (laughs) because we constantly tell ourselves we're not very good with technology, but maybe that's not true. Yeah. So we're trying to create a new belief around that. Yeah. So you could do it about something as small as that. I'm currently doing it on my views on my beliefs around racism and equality, I guess, which that is pretty ponderous, but it's it's quite powerful. Anyway, it's our gift to you. Mm. And if you get something out of it, that'd be great. And then you could come and join us at the Unlocking Your Beliefs sub-community of the Your Human. Yeah, this human, this human community. <laughs> yeah. So there's, a, there's the This Human community, which is a whole bunch of sort of like-minded people who have encountered the book and done some work with us or it or whatever. And then when you enroll in a course, you, you basically get put into a group that's just about that course where it's almost like a, like a private learning environment where you can ask questions and, you know, oh. I drop in and answer them and the community is there that are learning with you that can, you know, help each other through basically. So it's more, it's, it's more private and secluded. And then the, this human community is oh. just sort of everyone yeah. 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 Anyway, it's like the private dining room at the party. It is the private yeah. dining room at anyway. the party. Yeah. Should we move on to? Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Reading, watching. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of beliefs, I am reading a book that comes at something probably in exactly the opposite way to the way you read. So you love to read to challenge yourself and find something new. Mm. And I am reading something at the moment which really just validates something that I believe, mm. but I'm finding it very comforting and reassuring. So I'm reading this book called Humankind by Bregman, oh, yeah. who yeah, is the yeah, guy yeah. who wrote uh, Utopia for Realists and who took on all the kind of capitalists and all the people who go to Davos about two years ago maybe or maybe last year where they're all talking about inequality and he basically said, well, you don't even pay your taxes, so maybe you could do that. He's a historian who decided to leave academia because he wanted to make a difference and not spend three years writing about something nobody cared about, which is what he says. I don't think that's what academics do, just for all my academic friends out there. Uh, Anyway, so he's written this book and the basic premise is that – humans are hardwired to be kind and social and good to one another, which anybody who knows me will know is my very deeply held belief. For sure. And he does it in a really interesting way. So he starts with looking at how, like there's a whole bunch of homo species around. There was Neanderthals and homo sapiens and homo something else's that I forget. Erectus. Erectus, that's it. How did homo sapiens be the ones that thrived? And, and survived. And I think the guy who wrote Sapiens, he his premise is that Homo sapiens. Yeah, yeah. That the Homo sapiens just eliminated the Neanderthals and the others, isn't it? Is that right? I'm not sure. I can't mm. remember. Anyway, I think anyway. But Bregman's uh, theory, which he backs up with some very interesting scientific experiments. He doesn't do them, but he references scientific experiments to do with raising baby foxes to be um domesticated is that homo sapiens had they bred for friendliness so it wasn't survival of the fittest it was survival of the friendliness 
Friendliest. Hey, friendliest. Yeah. Friendliest. They had the most children. They were most open to cooperation. Mm. And so that's how they became the dominant species. Oh, interesting. And then he goes on to look at these two competing philosophical schools of thought. So he looks at Rousseau and he looks at Hobbes. Hobbes was English. Rousseau was French. And Hobbes' philosophy was based on that actually if you scratched a human deep down, there was just a savage ape. Oh, and institutions and organisations and society – had to be based on that premise and kind of mitigate mm-hmm. that. Whereas Rousseau felt that, I think he uses the phrase, natural man was, you know, joyous and friendly and kind and cooperative. And so Rutger Bregman says essentially society has taken that Hobbesian view of the world and that what we do is we pattern match. So we look for things that reinforce that for us. So, for instance, the news is always about things, bad things, mm. you know. So, for instance, a couple of days ago, there was a, a group of people playing a violin to honour someone who had been killed and violin music was his favourite thing and a bunch of police came in and beat them up. Now, that is a terrible, terrible thing. But maybe for every one of those incidents, there are a hundred where people are doing beautiful things like that all around the world and there's no negative consequence. And so, we don't get to hear about it. And we don't get to hear about the news it. isn't that way inclined. That's yeah. right, because it's looking at exceptions. Mm. Uh, and then he also talks about, I haven't finished this book yet, and but he also talks about how humans are the only species that have white around the coloured bits of their eyes. And what this allows you to do is see in which direction people are looking. So it's harder to deceive one another And he also talks about humans are the only species that have the capacity to blush, which is a a symbol of shame or Mm, embarrassment. um, embarrassment. Mm. And so he talks about how shame is actually a great enabler, which is very interesting because Brene Brown thinks shame is a great disabler. And we should move beyond that. So I'm quite interested to see the differences there. But the... I mean, I could talk about some of the stories he tells, and they're, they're excellent, I have a little, I really wanted to love this and to, you know, Mm. validate everything I thought. But there's a little bit of me, and he's very Malcolm Gladwell in the way he writes, which I love, Mm. I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan. And what he does is he he kind of cherry picks evidence to support his point of view. Of course, that's what everybody does. So I really want to love it, but I'm not entirely sure that, that it's, all correct. Like I feel like I am pattern matching myself. But he mm. does have – and he finishes up with these these kind of ten rules. And one of them is don't watch the news because that's actually just going to help you pattern match that the world is bad. The other is actually believe everyone's coming from a great place. And that's going to mean, he says, over the course of your life that, yeah, every now and then someone's going to rip you off or you're going to be deceived. But that's okay. That's the collateral that you pay – for truly believing there's good in the world. Mm. And he talks about uh, loving others as you love your own and how, for instance, you know when that plane was shot down over Malaysia and it was flying from the mm. Netherlands to Malaysia, I think, he didn't really have a response to that till he read about somebody who had died on that, who was like him and he really identified with them. Then he had a great deal of care for this. And he's saying if we all had that point of view in the world, we would act differently. Mm. 
Uh, and he's got a couple of other rules. One of them, yeah, I can't remember them all. Mm. But so it's a really fascinating book, and he's a very engaging person. I went to a like a Zoom author discussion oh, cool. he did the other night. So I am enjoying reading it, but there's a little bit of me thinking, oh, maybe I should read more like Melissa and I should be looking for something that doesn't agree with my point of view. Mm. Mm. But right at the moment I kind of need this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and you know, <clears throat> I think I'd be interested to understand a little bit more around the the hesitation that you're feeling to just go, mm. just to go with it because ultimately – you know, the, 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 every, like I was saying in the um, Q and A session this morning, mm. if, if you were to approach every interaction that you had in your life as a, as an opportunity for learning and, you know, you're reading this book at the moment that just happens to be espousing the things that, that you have already sort of arrived at mm. what's wrong with a, an enabling or allowing these interactions with the book to be, nourishing and validating and mm. and energizing for you what's the hesitation there i think the hesitation is i think i sort it out because it validates my view i don't think it's happenstance that i'm reading this book yeah and i think the hesitation is that and maybe we talked about this last week on this or in some other conversation that i am a bit worried that people are creating bubbles for themselves yeah and we increasingly only look for things that validate our point of view yeah. which is how we arrive at some of the situations we arrive at. Yeah. And so I have a little concern about right. myself doing that. Doing that. Yeah. But I also do feel the need to be having someone else validate my point of view. Yeah. And I think a lot of the external inputs that we are getting at the moment are contra our view of the mm-hmm. world. And so perhaps this is just bringing a little bit of balance back into that perspective yeah. and necessary. The other thing that this is another project for us to put on the list of projects that we're going to do at mm-hmm. some time. Mm. So you listen to Spotify? Do you yes, use Spotify? I do. So on Spotify, there's this playlist that gets created for you called Taste Breakers. Oh. Yeah, I, I happened across it the other day. And it's music that <gasps> it's is like opposite to what you listen it's, to. Well, it's, it's, it's done really well, actually, because it's kind of like – it's familiar, mm-hmm. but not what you would choose to listen to, which is generally sad indie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I thought we abs- we absolutely need that for news, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we need that to to go on the on the point of expanding our bubbles, and you know, not everyone deliberately seeks out opposing perspectives and challenging texts and stuff like that. But something like a taste breaker mm. would actually be really great in that. You know, say you you've got a feed that's interested in, you know, emerging tech, but you're particularly interested in space, mm-hmm. and that's what your whole world is about. There could be a taste breaker feed that's still about emerging tech that might be reusing space tech in, you know, developing countries, water finding, resourcing, distribution, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like it. It I was just thinking about it because I found myself in the playlist going, oh, I'd never choose to listen to this song, but it's I actually I kind of like it mm. and it's outside of my normal taste. And that concept applied to 
Mm. what we read and what we expose ourselves to, I think would be really, really useful. Mm. Like especially in a political sense where you're so sort of, it can be such a polarizing thing. I mean, all of the really big sort of tricky social topics to navigate, you know, religion and politics and all of that sort of stuff to be able to slightly stretch and open Mm. perspectives to allow potential and possibility in, mm. of other ways of viewing things and other ways of coming to a solution, I think would be really, really, really beneficial right now. Mm. Which is an algorithm, all those social media, mm. what are they called? Platforms could mm. really easily do. Yeah. Whereas the algorithms do the opposite. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. You said algorithm. I know, because <laughs> I'm really great at tech. You are great at tech. <laughs> uh, are you reading anything? Oh, yeah, just on the topic of politics, actually. I think I mentioned this last week. The book called The Listening Society. I'm mm-hmm. listening to it. How funny is I'm listening to it in the audiobook by a gentleman called Hansi Friedlich. I hope that's the correct way of pronouncing his name. He, I think he's an academic. I'm not quite sure. He's definitely a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And it's been quite an interesting journey so far in the way that he's chosen to write the prologue at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am into the introduction, but the prologue mm-hmm. was really. So I think last week we spoke about, what's her name? Hannah Gatsby. We did. The e-comedian mm. and how she sets up her, the latest Netflix special of Douglas. Mm. And I find that he's doing exactly the same thing. So he's basically introducing the topic of, oh God, I'm going to get it wrong again. I was just political metamodernism. Meta, yeah, political metamodernism. Mm-hmm. And he, he introduces it and then in the prologue talks about the different sections of the book and then also suggests how the reader is going to react, how different groups and different genres or cohorts of readers are going to have different perspectives on the things that mm. he's putting forward. And it's really interesting because there's a there's a part of me that's listening to him that's going, well, you don't know who I am. Who are you to assume? That's right. It feels right? like a challenge to me. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, he's, I, th- I feel like he's doing it for exactly that reason, mm. right, to establish that kind of connection and dissonance. Mm. And then also, you know, sometimes he, he refers to himself as the great Hansi Friedlich. And I think that – like the sitting with that going, are you are you doing that from a perspective of taking yourself really seriously or the complete opposite, which is almost like taking the piss? Just makes me think of a magician. Yeah. Like it's a great magician's name, the great Hansi Friedlich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually, I'm really enjoying the journey mm. that he's taking me on. And I loved one part of it, which is still, I think, in the prologue, where he's actually saying that we – as the reader engaging with the words that he has chosen to put down to be able to communicate what he sees as a potential new and emerging model for society and politics from a philosophical and other viewpoints that we are acting in, we are engaging in an act of co-creation and that in the form that it is in that, you know, what I'm looking at. Actually, I'm not listening to it. I'm reading it on Kindle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's no audiobook version. On it, It's basically static words on a page. And he said in, in that respect, he's kind of powerless in that interaction. All the power sits with the reader. 
and how the reader chooses to engage with those words and the meaning that the reader makes with those words. And that is the act of co-creation, which I loved because that kind of sits mm. with the sort of philosophy that sits behind the work that we do around mm. co-creation. And the the tenets upon which this perspective is built on is validating for me. So to go back to your point, it's already within my the mental models that I have around a world that's trying to be born, actually. It's in the, the fits and throes of, of that. So, yeah, I'm sure I'll be talking about that over many episodes because it's quite a, it's a dense tome. It's quite big. Mm, it does mean we've moved on from power and force, though, which yeah. I'm pleased about. Okay, that's great. I just like to, you know, you, you brought it up. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I did bring it up. That, that notion of co-creation, though, is exactly what happens when people read fiction as well. Yeah. Which is why when, you know, when they make a film of a book mm. and people are really anxious and trepidatious about that. Yeah. And then they, it's because they've got, they've created their version yeah, they will. of that yeah. piece of, of work and who those characters are and what they look like and how they talk to one another and where they live. And, and, and then when they come out of the film, and they're disappointed. It's because the the way they've created that piece of fiction doesn't gel with how a director or a producer or somebody else did that for them. So, which is one of the beautiful things about reading is that you can you have that power to create your own world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I often wonder because there are some people who are visual. There are some mm. people who aren't. You know. They 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 don't see pictures in their minds. They it's a different thing. That's right. There's a whole word for that, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, which mm. I can't remember now. Mm. And I often wonder about what what they perceive when they read fiction because I'm very visual, so I get very detailed visual pictures of things mm. when I'm reading. And and obviously, uh, film is a visual medium. So what happens when People don't actually think in pictures; they think in sounds, or yeah. perhaps they have a soundscape, or yeah, yeah, a textural. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. We should probably move on to the mystery question. Oh, you me. were going to? You had a? You oh, had a I book. do have a book. Yeah, this week is all about easy pleasure for me. Awesome joy, <laughs> and so I think I don't know if I talked about this earlier on this podcast. I began a book by a woman called Curtis Sidenfeld, who I think is a really great writer. And it was about Hillary Rodham Carter and what would have happened to, uh, not Carter, Clinton, Hillary Rodham, Rodham Clinton, and what her life might have been like had she not married Bill Clinton. Interesting. So I began that book, but I really did not love it. Yeah. So I stopped reading that book this week because yeah. this is all about joy. Yeah. And I went to an earlier book of hers called Prep, which is – ostensibly about a girl from Indiana from a working class family who wins a scholarship all off her own bat to go to this pretty prestigious boarding school. So were they both fiction? The Hillary Clinton Yeah, yeah, one. fiction. Fiction. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like so an it's imagining. Got it. Got it. Got it. She did another one about Laura Bush. Okay. Actually called The American Wife, which yeah. is a great book. Uh, anyway, so this is about a teenage girl who goes to this prestigious boarding school and uh, and you see everything through her eyes, absolutely everything. And it's really, really beautifully observed and that painful awkwardness of being a girl and wanting to fit in. And there's a really beautiful line that I won't remember, but it's something like, I spent my whole time wanting to be noticed, but hoping I never stood out. Yeah. And yeah. and so it's got it's got really interesting reflections on class and 
money and race and um, girlhood. And it's also very funny. And everyone in it has really strange names. Maybe they're not strange if you live in America, but people call things like Gates and Little. That's their first name, Gates. It's like Gates McCutcheon and Little something and Devon something. Anyway, it's really, really well observed and so sharply written. It's it's quite a great pleasure. And you're enjoying it. Oh, so much. Yeah. And I think, was this the book that surprised you? Yes, it did it surprise su- yeah. me. I thought it would be pretty, pretty light. Uh, and it turns out it's, there's quite a lot of depth, but it's, it's delivered very lightly. Yeah. So that is, that is quite lovely. Yeah, cool. Mm. All right, let's do it. The mystery question. Yeah. All right. I've got this big piece of paper. I'm unfolding it. You can probably all hear that because we're not great at <laughs> dealing with the mic stuff. Oh, my goodness. This question oh. has a technology element. Oh, so, okay. are you ready? Yeah. Because you're going first. Oh. <laughs> like the advancements in technology that changed the human experience, what do you think will be the next evolution to have a similar kind of impact to the way humans exist? Pause. Pause. So I guess technology, industrial revolution, yeah. computers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's the, it's, it's it's other the next. Than, it's yeah. other than tech. What's next? Yeah. So I, it's kind of relevant, I think, to the sorts of things that I'm reading about now, partly because I most of my nonfiction reading has really been centered around, talk about the bubble, has been centered around understanding humankind, yeah, so us as individuals, performance, neuroscience, altered states of consciousness, and then the way that we've evolved. So the, you know, Sapiens and Homer Deus and a lot of the Edward O. Wilson stuff, like lots of lots of that kind of thing. I I have never really voluntarily chosen to read a book about politics in my life. Mm. And I feel like the the next things that are going to have a really significant, and this is a hopeful view, FYI, those types of systems. So the political system, super system, the Mm. financial super system, the education super system, the health super system. And it is the, I feel like the business, big business, the, the tenets and the principles that have underpinned their evolution, the things that are under threat right now in terms of the power structures Mm. and the motivating values and the theories around efficiency and optimization and the, and the value structures that guide those types of decisions. I feel like they're the very things that are under threat right now. They're the very things that are being questioned. And Mm. my hopeful view is that it's going to be, fundamental shifts in those structures that are going to have this new way of navigating life emerge. Mm. I probably am coming at almost the same thing a little differently because mine is also quite a hopeful view of what's going to shape the future of humans. And my hope and belief is that it will be actually – kind of social movement so Mm. stuff around 
feminism and egalitarianism and a late but sensible response to climate change. Yeah. So I hope that that the rise of increased human action and and coming together at a global level on those things will be the things that shape those things you talked about yeah, to make yeah. things different. Yeah. And because I they're think, not going to shape themselves. No. And that's the other thing that we often always fall back to, right? Those super systems that I'm talking about, they, they're made of people. That's right. <laughs> and perhaps the, the thing that both your perspective and my perspective are actually pointing to is it's a values transformation, mm. like a value set mm. that is is what's being challenged right now, more so than the systems themselves, but the value sets that inform the way that we are and the decisions that we make and the choices that we... That's right, yeah. because the way our institutions are set up reflect the dominant values of the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. So that's the answer then? I think so. Yeah, it's the values. I think we've solved transfer. that, everybody. Okay. <laughs> Now that you've listened to the answer, yeah, please just make that happen. Yeah. It's probably time to finish. Yeah, I think so. Thank yeah. you, Cindy. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. We'll see you again.